space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission? To observe Trek to from observe outside Trek existence, from outside. to the Big Bang, all the way to the end of the universe. To seek out every second and contemplate every eon. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. Hello and welcome to Temporal Trek, the podcast. Now this is a complete rewatch of Star Trek and this is my pilot episode. So I figured I'm going to start by describing what on earth I am attempting to do. This isn't just a straightforward rewatch of the series from the 60s to now. This isn't also a rewatch of the, of the entire franchise uh, from Stardate Order. This is a rewatch of the franchise in complete historical chronological order. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are lots of episodes in the franchise where time plays a vital role. There's a lot of time travel antics. There's even travel outside of the universe, outside of space and time, uh, an immeasurable part of existence. So, started off with a joke, I opened up my big mouth, and now I instantly regret it, because I was having this little joke in a, a Facebook forum uh, for the Next Conversation podcast, and I just mentioned what if everyone watched it, everything in one straight order, from everything outside the universe to the Big Bang, and then from the Big Bang to the 21st century, and then from the 21st century and First Contact, all the way through in Stardate order, watching all of the episodes in order, but any then future episodes that jump to the future, watch again after that, if the events happen after then. Complete joke, uh, unfortunately it got stuck in my brain, and it is now here to stay, and it has come to this. Little did I know that as I would be researching this, that the first episode that I would be watching would be the animated series. I tried my best to trawl through TOS to find something that I could argue the case as being outside of time. But I found very quickly that there were things outside the universe, but they were sort of time adjacent. The events uh, and everything being experienced by the crew were happening at the same time, just elsewhere, some other place. Um, I couldn't get any kind of episode that mentioned being outside of a measurable time until I came to the animated episodes. And the very first one was The Magics of Magus 2. So that's where I'm going to begin. <laughs> now, I don't hate the animated series. Uh, in fact, I have a, a, a fond love of the animated series. It used to be on Saturday mornings uh, here in the UK on BBC Two uh, for a short time. Uh, I believe it also moved to Channel 4 later on, but I didn't really catch it then because I was sort of in uni and, and trying to uh, get through uh, very dense textbooks. <laughs> so I didn't really have time to watch cartoons anymore. Um, as much as the, uh, the the world seems to think that students do that, uh, we don't really have time for that. Um, well, if you do, you're probably not doing it right. Uh, but I have a very fond memory of the animated series, partially because I also grew up on the He-Man animation, which is exactly the same style. So I love that way of looking at it. I know a lot of people don't like the animation, and I know that if I was doing recommendations on these episodes, I could just say, if you don't like the style, don't watch it. I could probably say that about all the episodes, so that's not going to be one of my criticisms against it. The way it looks, 
I don't think can be held against it. The way the acting takes place, maybe. That might figure in, because that can really throw you out of the episode. But as far as animation is concerned, I can let it off for quite a few things. Uh, as I can with the um, original series as well. You've got uh, very early days with special effects on cameras. I'm not going to hold that against it. And of course, we've got the remakes, the uh, the rehashed TOS with all the new special effects. So we can kind of give it a bit more leeway. But with this episode, uh, what I'm going to be doing is re-watching episodes as they fall through the chronology. So I'll be watching Magus 2 now, but when it comes back round to being in the normal chronology of things, uh, it will be watched again. The difference being that this episode will only deal with the events that were outside of time. Now, I'm really hoping that someone out there is going to listen to this episode and has fantastic editing abilities on YouTube or uh, perhaps even a podcast ability that they could do as well, that if they could make a supercut of all of the outside time pieces of information uh, and put them in one long span, that would be fantastic. So what I'm going to be doing with these episodes outside time is providing a time stamp. I will be letting you know, based on the Netflix UK review that I'm doing, the the time when the ship or crew move out of time, and then moving it to the point where they return to normal space-time, the Prime Universe. Now, speaking of the Prime Universe, I will also be watching the Kelvin Universe because I see those events happening in parallel. They have time, they have space, they may not be the same universe and the same uh, uh, timeline, they are still part of the franchise, they are still happening. So I take everything to be happening at the same time. So I'll attempt to fit those in around the TOS era um, and sort of work it that way. Uh, so we will be including the Kelvin universe. I don't hate on that universe. Um, there are bits of it that I love. There are bits of it that I don't. Uh, and that will hopefully come out in the review. But everything will be considered. There is nothing I'm leaving out of the um, franchise that is committed to TV and to movies. Speaking of leaving things out, I will be leaving out any books, comics, even the stuff that was supposed to be tied in uh, and is supposed to be canonical. Um, I hate using canon as uh, a justification for something because, as this podcast is going to be all about, time travel exists as a concept in this universe. Things can be changed. Things can happen very differently. Uh, if one person goes back in time and creates a butterfly effect, um, you, we've been watching the franchise up to that point. As soon as they jump back, everything is different. So if one series looks different to something else, if a species, I think you're getting what I'm going with this, uh, looks different in one bit to another, what if that's a result of time travel? What if there is some unseen part of the franchise um, that is being affected because there was time travel going on that we, the audience, saw going on in the episode? So the other sort of aim of this podcast is to highlight where those pitfalls happen. Where did that butterfly effect originate? Now there are episodes that are even set in the Big Bang. So there's uh, the Voyager episode. There's episodes set uh, in prehistory, um, particularly with um, All Good Things. So you've got Picard being there at the birth of us, the human race. So I'm not going to include that as changing canon. I'm going to stick, strictly stick to time travel. 
because those other two incidents involved Q, Q could undo any butterfly effects. That's my argument. But from then on, it's all time travel. So any instance of anything else, it could have affected things. So with Magus 2, I'll give you an outline of the episode. It'll be the same outline as what I'll do uh, when this comes back around again. But Megas 2 will be the start of the podcast. In the episode, the Enterprise is sent to the centre of the galaxy to figure out the origins of matter and the galaxy itself. Uh, it's crucial that Kirk does actually say in his captain's log that it is the galaxy and that they believe that the galaxy came from some grand explosion. Now, I think what they're trying to get at is the Big Bang, but I'm not entirely sure. Having not lived in the era when this animation was originally made, I can't really speak for uh, where scientific theory was at the time. I believe the Big Bang theory um, was fairly popular, but I don't know whether it was still considered that it was only about the formation of our galaxy or the universe. The wider universe, the known universe, I know is still a fairly new concept, at least in scientific terms. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a theory that's about 40, I believe even 50 years old now. Um, so it still probably hadn't made its way into popular culture and popular entertainment. So whenever they were talking about the origins of matter and energy and so on, they were probably talking about the galaxy, thinking that that was existence, not knowing that there was the further universe. So I'm going to let them off for this, for this sort of discongruity of uh, the wording of the captain's log and where scientific theory was. I'm not a scientist, I'm not an expert, so please, if you have any feedback for me, let me know, get in contact. Uh, I would love to know where was scientific theory, theory being placed at that time. Did we know about the further universe at that point when this um, episode was being made? Was that fairly popular, uh, well-known knowledge, or was that still making its way just through the scientific hemisphere? Um, were only scientists aware of the further universe, and the general public weren't really aware, so they were sort of dumbing it down for the entertainment. If you know that, I would love to find out. Please let me know. Um, and in general, I welcome any feedback. Uh, when you listen to this, uh, I'd love to know what you think about the episode, the structure of it, um, uh, changes that you might be able to suggest. If you've got ideas for segments, um, uh, I will read out feedback uh, if you want me to. I will include names if you want me to. I would also love any fan art. If anyone does fan art based, based on uh, this descent into madness that I'm about to embark on, that would be fantastic. Um, whether it be uh, about this podcast or just about the episodes I'm talking about, uh, whether you want to you know, draw a picture of this episode happening, it, entirely up to you, but send it. I will share it on Twitter, you name it, on Instagram. That would be fantastic to hear from you. With the episode, it's not until the timestamp of one minute 59 seconds. Okay, so that's 1 minute 59 seconds when the Enterprise moves from our universe, our space-time, to non-space-time or a different type of universe. Um, so that will be the point where I'm putting the, the first timestamp on. It's at that point that I'm going to be talking about. Now this is one of the rare episodes where I've done my research where pretty much the whole thing is set outside our, our space-time. Every other episode I'm going to be into, um, including on this outside time segment is a, a, a short, maybe 10 minutes, where the Enterprise or whatever ship is caught outside of space-time, um, uh, or perhaps a few individuals. It's very rare that we actually get a whole episode de dedicated to just the concept. 
So that's one of the reasons why I actually really like this episode. It, it stays with the concept the whole way through. The most interesting thing that I find is when we're talking about Spock. Spock is, is arguably one of the most beloved characters in the whole franchise. I've never really seen a criticism of the way Spock talks. The first sentence he says when they enter into this other space-time is that he talks to McCoy, who's giving a very McCoy statement about where the hell are they and all this sort of thing. Um, and Spock just replies with, through the centre of things. Now, I realise that this animation probably had a very limited budget, wasn't given a great attention, so it's probably just a bad, badly written line. But actually, I quite like the way he says it, because it defends something that's been happening recently. Now, at the time of this recording, Season 2 has just finished of Star Trek Discovery. And I've enjoyed this show, I really did. And there's a lot of criticism from a small part of the fan base, a minority of the fan base, who seem to criticise one particular character, and that is the character of Michael Burnham. And the way that she speaks, and they say that she's very um, uh, flowery, very emotional in her language. Um, she's very prone to hyperbole uh, and exaggeration. Um, perhaps not necessarily put in such uh, such terms, but that's the general gist I'm getting from those fans who, who criticise the way she talks. I hear that a lot about her, but coincidentally we're getting a line from her adopted ward half Vulcan half-human brother, Spock, and I've never seen that criticism lobbied against him. Now, this is a way of talking that I think Spock carries through TOS and even the animated series. I've never seen that criticism against him, but I have seen that criticism against Burnham. Now, that may be for very different reasons. It may not be just the language. There may be other factors in play, uh, and I think we all know where I'm going with that, uh, so I won't go any further with that. But it's very interesting that we're willing to forgive one thing because perhaps it hits our nostalgic button. Perhaps there's something uh, underlying that we love about Spock, so we're willing to forget the way he talks. Yet we're not allowed to do that for a brand new character who we're still getting to learn, um, and is still only in the you know the fabled zone of uh, bad Trek. Whenever there's the first two seasons of any of the iterations. Uh, it's never quite revered as, say, the later stages, and usually the seasons three to six being the best ones for any franchise. So I just find it a very odd thing. But it's it's interesting that that's the first thing that comes up. It's almost like I set on this journey to rewatch all the episodes, to um, examine canon, and perhaps even, um, if I'm being honest, try and defend uh, the criticisms lobbed against Star Trek Discovery for its anti-canonical um, viewpoint or the way that people think that it is anti-canonical. Canonical? Canonical. What an odd word. Canonical. Ooh, there we go. I'm surprising myself and hopefully I'm going to learn how to say that properly, especially for an entire podcast that's about canon. Um, <laughs> but uh, my idea was to sort of uh, examine canon in such a way that perhaps I can then offer a completely scientific approach and reason and result to dissuade that criticism of a show that I think is one of the best in the Star Trek franchise. Certainly better than the episode that I'm going to talk about. 
Now, instantly, as soon as the Enterprise hits this realm of existence, everything goes haywire. The machinery isn't working, life support is completely gone, the crew are almost dying from uh, lack of oxygen and life support, and suddenly uh, someone appears on the bridge uh, who seems very jovial, very happy. He seems to know who they are. He instantly says, Humans! Can't you do anything right? Um... Uh, that's my worst impression ever. Um, but uh, voiced by James Doohan, uh, who I remember as voicing quite a few of the characters, not only in TOS, but also in the animated series as well. Um, he's very over the top, very grand, very posturing, but uh, he, he just sticks out his hand and instantly all the machines on the Enterprise are working. Everything seems to be realigned uh, and the crew start to wake up. He introduces himself as Lucian, and the satanic imagery is there from the get-go, but no one seems to be clued into this. He's half man, half goat. Uh, he's like a fawn. Um, he's just like a really big Mr. Tumnus. Um, he uh, talks to, to Spock and calls him his elfin friend, so there's a jovial side to him. So instantly, we, the audience, know this is Satan, this is Lucifer, you know, I don't think that that was ever, I don't think that was ever a possibility that he wasn't Satan. Uh, and I, again, I don't know, I wasn't growing up at the time this episode was released, how evident that would have been to an American audience or a general public. I remember reading some of the notes for this episode that the original script was going to be that they'd meet God, um, but uh, that would seem to be more controversial, uh, yet putting in a character who so obviously looks like Lucifer and then is revealed later to be Lucifer, it's very odd how that was able to get past, but God wasn't. He appears, um, he, he's friendly, he um, talks to Spock and talks about uh, the universe that they're in. And he says, logic, who's logic? He has literally no concept of rational thought, reason. Um, to him, those are foreign concepts. Um, he instantly transports our favourite triad, the Kirk, McCoy and Spock, to this other realm in space-time just outside the ship. Uh, and it instantly gives over to Kirk being this disembodied character. And we see some really odd animation. I'm not entirely sure why this was left in the episode. It just seems so strange. Uh, but they have this whole conversation about bodily integrity is very um, important to us. And we like to be in one piece. Uh, which, given the way that Kirk looks in the episode, it's not hard to believe why. Uh, Lucian again fixes it, he puts his hand out, does the magical stance, and Kirk is back to normal. McCoy can't resist the opportunity to uh, stick the knife into uh, Spock and call him unnatural as well. Um, but uh, it's it's just it's great. It's, it, it fits in with what I remember of TOS. Uh, and I will say that in all of my rewatch, obviously I have seen all the episodes before, some more than others. Obviously I stick to my favourites over and over again. There are a few that I've only watched maybe once, maybe twice in my entire life, so I haven't really got a, a very strong memory of it. Uh, but I always remember the, the McCoy put-downs. I think everybody does. Um, McCoy was one of my favourite characters going in. Obviously as a kid I was really into Spock, uh, so seeing the two bicker and fight... I never actually liked it, but I always found what McCoy said funny. Which is odd, because today, if I was in a workplace environment and someone was taking the mickey out of someone for the way that they look, uh, for their heritage, for their blood, I, I would I would feel really uncomfortable. Um, it's, you know, 
tantamount to workplace harassment today, McCoy would probably be sacked. Um, <laughs> it's really uncomfortable, but for some reason it just works really well for McCoy because you know that there's a good-natured side to it, uh, that there's a love between those two characters, a brotherly love. We're instantly introduced to the concept of magic talking about it as an, another form of technology. Now, I know that um, if we were doing this in Stardate order, this isn't the first appearance of something called magic in the franchise. Uh, we've had episodes like Cat's Paw and so on. Uh, even the episode uh, with Trelane, uh, the Squire of Gothos, he's using, he's using machines in the form of mirrors to control his powers and so on. But this is the first time where they're talking about magic as if it is a force, uh, um, a tangible substance to be used. Um, they often talk about um, belief and magic being the same as energy and matter in our universe. So that's another reason why I put this episode as not time adjacent, but happening outside of our existence. It really reminds me of the old trope, uh, which has uh, been banded around in all science fiction, not just Star Trek, but to do with the Arthur C. Clarke quote uh, regarding uh, any sufficiently advanced race uh, with technology would seem like a god to a underdeveloped civilization with no technology. Um, and that's very much how they play it with this episode. They never explicitly say it, but that is definitely there. It's, it's in the roots of it. Now, the, the, the off-putting thing for me is the next thing that happens, and it comes from Spock. He um, instantly recognizes that magic is a force, that it is a thing. Um, now, he... he tries to argue it as logical because uh, we're in a different universe so therefore there are different rules fair enough but given the way that say T'Pol acts in Star Trek Enterprise uh, later on where she is so adamantly defiant of the concept of time travel even though time travel has been happening all the way around her uh, and she's coming up against so many accounts of it she's, she stays intractable um, she almost offers an uh, a very unscientific approach. She's been presented with lots of evidence, but is unwilling to change her mind. Whereas Spock sees this new evidence and changes his mind. But it happens so quickly. That's where I'm uncomfortable with this. The character is so willing to give over to magic, just with one account, with one piece of new evidence. Uh, and he seems to even be willing to try the magic for himself. I think if I were rewriting this episode... Uh, and trying to offer my own opinions on it, um, I would have had Kirk or McCoy be the one more willing to accept magic as another possibility, convincing Spock, and then Spock comes round to it. However, uh, without that, given that this episode is so short, I guess they just have to have that as a shorthand, that Spock was instantly ready to change his mind. There was a really uncomfortable sentence uttered by Lucian himself, um, where he talks about the magic being used by different people and all the Megans, um, which is the race of beings that he's from, uh, and talking about all the women Megans using the magic to ensnare the men that they want. Um, it is incredibly sexist and very uncomfortable to hear. It is really uncomfortable to listen to. Uh, I grew up uh, being raised by my mum and my sister, where my dad was working uh, long night shifts, so we, you know he wasn't around as much. So I've been around women my entire life, and it's so uncomfortable to hear someone talk that way about women. Um, and it, it very much sets that, yes, we are in a 1970s cartoon series. Um, yes, I know there's fantastical things going around. Yes, I know it's a TV show. Uh, yes, I know that um, uh, you know, there was a different time and a different way of thinking. 
but it is still so uncomfortable to hear. Uh, it's something that puts dampener on ever wanting to watch this episode again. It's such a tiny moment, but it really does stand out. At this point, I would like to point out that the voice acting is terrible in this. Um, it, the actors themselves, the whole cast being brought back from the original series, uh, with the exception of Walter Koenig, are, are trying their best, but it's delivered so flat. And then you get Lucian, who is over the top. So you've got uh, James Doohan, whose Scotty is actually very spot on, actually. I think that's one exception to what I'm saying here, uh, is that Scotty is spot on. He's got inflection, tone, there's um, a sense of urgency when he's talking about the machines not working on the Enterprise at the beginning of the episode. And then he uh, is so some, so completely different to Lucian. Uh, Lucian uh, can be talking in a very exaggerated way, and then suddenly he'll swap and become very serious and uh, monotone and then go back to talking like this and it's so unusual it is so jarring because you're trying to stay focused on the episode but the sudden switches with no lead up whatsoever no reason for it um, it's just bizarre he it does recount the history of the Megans and he talks about how they are the only uh, living race in this universe they went out, they explored, they discovered, similar to uh, the way Starfleet does, uh, and found there was no one there. Now, this is a very familiar story from what I remember in later episodes, like The Chase, where we have a single race who discover there's nothing else in the universe and wish to um, expand their influence and populate the universe. And yet the Megans do the same thing, not by populating the universe, but by going to other universes to find life. Um, he also talks about how the Megans are specialists in their own field, and that he is a generalist. They go out uh, and uh, they only see the world from their point of view. And I thought that was a really interesting point. Um, long before Twitter, long before social media and the internet, uh, and we're facing sort of these um, spheres of knowledge uh, that are being built up around themselves. Um, I believe it's still called uh, cognitive dissonance. People find what they like on the internet, they stay in that zone uh, and they become so uh, pitched into that way of thinking that they can't see the rest of the world around them. So it's very interesting that this 70s cartoon TV show meant for kids is already bringing up this idea that if you've got one type of knowledge, it's very, very, very hard to see outside of that. The crew are then returned to the Enterprise and Lucian seems... Uh, afraid that all the other Megans are going to find them. Uh, it's not quite clear why at this point. Uh, Spock, instantly on the Enterprise, again we're coming back to this idea that he is accepting of magic. Not only that, he's ready to practice magic. He starts drawing a pentagram uh, on the floor, a pentagram with the star uh, inside, so a pentagram of protection. Now, <clears throat> when I was growing up, I was becoming very disillusioned with my uh, Christian uh, upbringing. Uh, I was raised Church of England, baptised and everything like that. Uh, but then I started to have doubts. I uh, started to pe see the people around me just saying the words for the sake of saying them, not seeming to be acting like the way they should be believing. So I became very disenfranchised with, with that way of thinking. But I still wondered whether I had a spiritual side, so I started exploring lots of different things. Uh, read about Buddhism, that in, piqued my interest in philosophy that I went on to then study. Um, I had uh, lots of uh, reading material around different kinds of faith, 
none of those really rang true for me. Um, there was one brief moment where I was considering um, the belief in Wicca uh, and magic uh, and uh, the idea that you could practice this magic. So I'm well aware of the, the, the background to a pentagram of protection. It's a very uh, strong symbol in that faith. That was a very passing fad for me. Uh, I quickly realised that it's just um, a form of, sort of self-therapy. Um, you're using words to make yourself feel better. Uh, and uh, then I came to where I am now uh, as an atheist uh, and a lack of belief in anything. Uh, it's purely uh, just and a lack of faith in superstition uh, and stories. Of course, that doesn't apply to Star Trek. Of course, that is my faith. That is my religion, if I'm being honest. Um, but uh, I, I don't think that uh, I'll be joining up to that church just yet. Um, Spock, getting back to the episode... Uh, Spock is standing there inside the pentagram and he instantly knows how to work magic. He starts saying that he believes he can use it, that he knows um, that he can move uh, an object, in this case it was a chess piece, uh, on a Vulcan chess piece board, which is interesting. He starts to believe that he can move it with his mind. Now it's interesting that it was the Vulcan chess piece because it doesn't look like the 3D chess sets that we're used to seeing in Star Trek. It is a flat board, but with very odd looking pieces. So it did make me wonder, is there a different Vulcan chess? I don't actually know if there is. So if there is someone out there who knows if there's a Vulcan chess with a different set of rules, please let me know. I would love to find out. Um, again, with this episode, I'm not interested in hearing about books or anything around the canon. Is there something in the TV show that I'm going to come up to where it states that there is a Vulcan chess and a human chess? That would be great to know. Spock instantly works his magic. He moves the piece and proves that magic can be used. And again, they reiterate this idea that belief and magic are the same as energy and matter in our universe, um, which is fine. That's the rules of that universe. That's okay. Um, then we start to get into the really, really trippy stuff. And this is where it gets hard to watch the episode. The crew are discovered by the rest of the Megans and instantly transported to a recreation of the Salem witch trials uh, in the 17th century. Now, Spock even says it should be around about 1691. Uh, now, he's being oddly specific, uh, but that is the dates of the, the Salem witch trials. Um, there is a talk of them being burned at the stake, even though, as far as I remember from my history classes, no one actually burned at the stake in Salem. Uh, but the trials did go on. There's a lead Megan who uh, introduces himself as Asmodeus because that was the name he went by when they visited Earth. This whole way through, uh, Lucian has been talking about how the Megans came to Earth and they were revered almost like gods. Um, they were treated with lots of respect. They were there at pinnacle points of technology being introduced into the world. Now, it's never explicitly said whether they created the technology or they were a guiding force for it and humanity uh, just discovered things on their own uh, and were just using the Megan's expertise to, to be, to be uh, safe. Uh, I like to think that because Star Trek is about uh, a pro-humanist stance, that um, uh, humans are the ones who are controlling their own destiny. I think that humans uh, create their own technology and these Megans are a sort of just a guiding force. Which is odd, because they don't have a prime directive, which seems to be the general feeling. Whenever we come across these really advanced alien races in Star Trek, they seem to have some sort of prime directive. It's almost a given. The Megans don't seem to have that. 
Although the Megans instantly regret it, because as Modius goes on to explain, uh, the humans drive them out. Now, how they they drove out these magical beings who were so powerful, it's quite hard to accept. But if the Megans had uh, laws governing um, protection of lesser life forms, shall we say, um, that's probably why they just refused to take up arms against the humans and they just left, even though the humans were being so horrible to them and taking through things like the Salem Witch Trials. Asmodeus says that they collected together, they banded together, claimed all the magic they could, and then used that to transport themselves back to Earth. Now, the Salem Witch, Witch Trials, I, I do want to reiterate that in my rewatch, I am not including um, projections, visions, approximations, or simulations of historical events. So I will not be watching this episode again come the time I come to uh, the Salem Witch Trials in 1691, uh, because this is a simulation given to them by the Megans um, to prove a point. Uh, the same way that I won't be watching Cupid uh, for the uh, the Robin Hood, I won't be classing that as medieval history, partly because Robin Hood is myth, uh, but also because um, it is a simulation again. It's something that Q has created for a purpose, and it is happening time adjacent to that episode, but nowhere else. If it's a holodeck recreation, I'm not classing that as time travel. Uh, so that is happening in that time. Only if time travel, and it is specifically said time travel, is occurring, then I will do that. The human race is put on trial. Now, oddly, Spock calls himself up as the defence for humanity, saying that he is not of Earth. Now, it's odd because the Megans seem to be very powerful, seem to be very knowledgeable. Uh, they seem to have a good grasp of this magic technology, but they can't read minds because Spock, as we all know, is half human and half Falcon. He's not of Earth. Um, it's wrong. It's a lie. Uh, so it's quite hard to accept that. But again, if the Megans can't read minds, then perhaps they would go for that. The odd thing about this is that, along with the rest of the crew, is um, the character of Arax, the three-armed orange alien who replaced the Chekhov character in the animated series. He is most clearly the most not-of-Earth person on that crew, yet he doesn't do it. Now, obviously, yeah, it's because they didn't pay the actor to come in and do the voice. Or uh, they didn't want to uh, just confuse the audience on who Arax was. was. But it is very interesting that he said he's not of Earth. Uh, I think I would have found it more interesting had he said that he was of two worlds and therefore could see the balance. Uh, but that's my—that's the writer in me. Um, I am a writer, so when I am criticising the episodes, um, I will be offering takes on how I might have rewritten them as well. Spock instantly says that he will defend the humanity, and he calls up Kirk as the first witness. He starts talking to Kirk and talking about how humanity has evolved. Uh, humanity has evolved, says Kirk, that they still make mistakes, but they have things like General Order 1. Now, I'm very used to hearing how Prime Directive is just taken as a given uh, and is used so often. Uh, and he talks about um, General Order 1 being this fine, revered principle. Now, that's not really argued in this episode, and again, probably for time, because they wanted to keep the episode under 20 minutes. But it's very interesting to see that what will become standard tropes in Star Trek is still being there in the animated series. It's still at the beginning of the franchise. It'll be interesting to see how many times General Order Number 1 comes out in the original series. He asks the Megans to uh, consider their records on the Enterprise. 
And this is where I belly laughed watching the episode because it's the 70s. They had no idea what a microchip was going to be. We haven't reached that point where uh, isolinear chips are the accepted way of doing things. Uh, I know this happens in TOS as well. We have like uh, uh, diodes and relays and really old circuitry and things like this. But it is very funny when Asmodeus waves his hand and up in the sky waves all of these uh, computer reel-to-reel tapes and punch cards and and there's the the sound of like a, a, a ticker tape going on, uh, counting all the cards. Um, it is funny to watch uh, and saying that uh, we have read all of your tapes and all your records. It it, it just seems so silly to me that uh, that even then, when they're writing this in the seventies, that they thought that technology hadn't moved on. Um, even in the TOS era, they had those little discs that looked like what the, what we used to call floppy disks, which is now an ancient technology as well. Why they didn't have that flying through the air, because I imagine just a coloured square flying through the air is much easier to draw than a reel-to-reel tape. But there you go, that's just me. It's decided by the Megans that humanity has proved itself, but that Lucian should still be punished. Uh, and then Kirk instantly leaps to his defence. Uh, and says that we're not interested in your myths and legends, he's just a sentient creature, we need to look after him. Now, I thought this was really, really cool, because you've got an episode set in the 70s, before I think it's established protecting sentient life in any form is uh, is the standard Star Trek trope. Um, the 60s, yes, they had some very impassioned speeches about freedom uh, and being uh, just and pure and things like this, but about human rights, individuals' rights, and um, looking after a sentient creature. It's always something I attribute to TNG onwards. So it's odd to hear it out of Kirk's mouth for me. Um, you know, I'm always used to hearing Kirk giving a speech that, that sounds like it came out of a, sort of an American textbook um, uh, about we the people, you know, reading the, the, the amendments and, and everything like that. Not something that is very personal, very... Um, uh, centric to just one sentient being being treated correctly. There's a pomposity, I think, to to my memory of what Kirk is in TOS that it, it seems completely at odds with this line that comes out of Kirk. If it was in the mouth of, say, Picard or Janeway or, or whoever, even Archer, it would seem fine. But for some reason, I don't know why, it just seems very odd coming out of Kirk's mouth. But he stands up for Lucian. Even when Asmodeus points out, as we all knew, that Lucian was Lucifer, um, and he said that we don't really care about that. It's, it's a, you know, it's by the by. You're you are hurting this creature, and then Kirk stands up to Asmodeus and starts to use magic. Um, uh, Kirk uses it with the um, with Spock, sort of urging him on and says, "Use the magic you know." It's never established that he knows any magic. It never really uh, goes anywhere, but we get the most trippiest scene. There's all kinds of coloured gel put over the animation, rainbow effects, um, storms, you name it, it's all being thrown at Kirk. Um, Kirk is sort of defeated, but by the act of looking after Lucifer and protecting him, or trying to, um, the Megans then believe that humanity has moved on and that they are better. Everything's fine. Reset button is hit. Um, the human beings are now welcome to visit this universe whenever they wish. Um, and uh, we're all good. We uh, even had the little Wah Wah's 1970s pedal music whilst the fight was going on. The waka 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 waka. So it was a big, big set piece, and then suddenly everything's fine. Uh, it's so quick that that changes. And it's at this point my review ends, because at timestamp 22 minutes, 32 seconds, the Enterprise re-enters 
space-time, and the episode is done as far as I'm concerned. Now, I've watched the whole episode, but I won't be talking about what happens at either end of this episode until I do the full episode rewatch officially when it comes to the Stardate order. So that's it for the first episode. Now, I may have waffled on for quite some time. As I said, I really look forward to getting feedback from you. I hope you've enjoyed this. What I'm hoping to do in terms of the format is evolve it uh, gradually over time. My idea is that I don't want to rank the episodes. That happens on every podcast I hear about, whether it's a you know, point system, one out of five, one out of ten. Everyone's got their own favourite episodes and they're all bringing that uh, to the table. And very interestingly, this whole episode is about being alone in a sphere of knowledge and not being able to see other points of view. So I really want to keep my ratings on episodes loose. I don't want to be uh, stuck to a, a set system. What I will do is rate it on three criteria. What is the impact on canon? That's my, been my main mission for this whole podcast. What is the impact on canon? Secondly, how would I rewrite the episode? What do I feel needs to be done differently? Um, again, just my opinion. That's all I'm stating. Thirdly, would I recommend the episode to other people? Now, there's two strands to that recommendation. To other fans and to non-fans as well. So the first one is impact on canon. Because this happens outside space-time, I'm going to go with no. There is no impact whatsoever. Knowing that all of the show is coming up, so all of the animated series onwards, as far as Stardate Order is concerned, the Megans are never brought up. As far as I'm aware, they're never brought up. There's no interchange of technology. There's no moving forward. What I might say, though, is because they have magic, because they can seem to create things in this universe out of thin air, that seems like technology that is very, very similar to the Replicator. So I always wonder whether, because Star Trek era... We've got TOS, we've got Discovery, and way back to Archer's Day, we had real food, we had what was called synthesizers, but they were making things out of other material, or other matter, reconstituted. The replicator is the theory of taking energy and making matter. Now, I always wondered, what if the replicator were a form of Megan technology? What if uh, the replicator, because... Energy to matter is a very fanciful term. Uh, it, it conflates the idea of E equals MC squared. Again, I'm not a scientist, but I know that just because the two things are interchangeable, the process of doing that is very hard. And the reality of doing or creating something like a replicator, an actual replicator that replicates energy into matter, is a very odd thing. What if the replicator isn't what we think it is and is Megan technology? Now, this is a what if. This is purely me just being hypothetical. I know the episode has no bearing on it. I know that it's not there. So I'm going to move into my other second recommendation. How would I rewrite this episode? I would love to have had a scene just at the end where the Megans offer some new technology that they are able to give to humanity and to the universe that becomes the replicator. Um, it's not infinitely powered, so they have to find their own way of uh, using it and integrating it into starships in the future. But what a great idea to have this new piece of technology that becomes the standard fare from TNG onwards, where they can just replicate food, clothing, and so forth. And we just write it off. It's just Megan technology. Uh, it works differently because it's working on the principles outside of our universe. I thought that would have been a really cool little throw-in. Uh, um, obviously, when they were making the, con the 
the cartoon, they would have had no idea that TNG was coming. Uh, they probably didn't even know that Phase 2 was coming. Um, but it would have been really cool just to have a little nod, maybe even T TNG, when they first introduced the replicators. Oh, this is based on uh, uh, a system developed by a race called the Megans. Just have a line like that, that would be fantastic. So that would be my offer for how I would rewrite uh, parts of the episode. I would also uh, leave out all of the mentions about uh, women using technology, <laughs> and I would change uh, some of the wording, certainly, for um, the episode. But overall, I quite like how it's structured. The Enterprise is investigating. The Enterprise goes to a very odd place of, the, of another part of existence. They meet a creature who seems to have a link to uh, humanity in the past. They're put on trial. It's a trial episode and back to normal again. So really, overall, I'm not going to change the episode. It, it makes perfect sense as it is. So would I recommend it? Now, I said I'm already going to throw out the idea that if you don't like the anima animation, that's an instant no. I like this the, the animation, but disregarding that... Do I think it's a good piece of entertainment? Now, I sit down and watch these episodes, not alone, because I am a stay-at-home dad. And I'm with my uh, third child, my boy, Zachary, uh, who is still getting to learn different things. And he was sitting with me and watching this. And he saw, the Enterprise saw across the screen and made a kind of rocket noise and moved his hand at the same time, as if he was flying the Enterprise. So... Would I recommend watching this with anyone? Now, I will say he's one years old, so you know, take his acceptance for it uh, with a pinch of salt. But I would say yes. Uh, it's fun. It's campy. Uh, it's not meant to be taken seriously. Something that I think we should apply to all the franchise. All of Star Trek shouldn't be taken seriously. There are serious elements to it. There are serious parts of the uh, episodes. But I don't think the franchise should be taken as seriously as high-mindedly as some fans like to treat it it's a tv show it's an important tv show but it's a tv show so i recommend that other fans watch this episode and i also recommend that non-fans watch this episode and that's my review for now now if you've got suggestions for other ways i could rank this without doing a one to five or one out of whatever um I would love to hear it. Um, I would love uh, uh, to set this format in stone as we go on. Uh, maybe even we'll do all the outside time. As soon as the Big Bang hits, maybe I'll have it pinned down and then space and time will be normal for us all. But that's it from Temporal Trek. My next episode, come back and we will be watching a TNG episode from season one. Oh yes, season one. From where no one has gone before. And thank you for listening to Temporal Trek. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Temporal Trek. If you would like to contribute anything to the show, fan art, music, clips, ideas for segments, then please feel free to contact me on Twitter at Hitch underscore Daniel or on Instagram, Daniel underscore Hitch underscore writer. This show is always going to be free. There's no Patreon at all. But if you would like to financially contribute to the show, then I am a published author on Amazon and I'll catch you in the next time stream.